It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.07 on a Saturday morning, 74 degrees. It has not changed one degree since last Saturday morning when it was 74 degrees when we started the show. Of course, it's going to go up a little bit today, but we'll let you be informed about that, what the weather will be like. But this morning, our job is to tell you how to be a more successful gardener by asking questions. If you have a question about gardening, about what you can do, what you should do, what you might ought to do, what you'd like to get out of doing, if it has anything to do with gardening, organic gardening, synthetic gardening, if you've got a question, we've got answers. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, 404-872-0750. I'm Walter Rees, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful. And in some cases, to bring a little happiness into your life, and I will tell you the truth, I was happy this week to see a video that still resonates in my head with the amount of caring information and love that this video showed. And the video was about farming. And the video was about one of Georgia's agricultural heroes, a guy named Will Harris. Will Harris has a has a farm down in Bluffton, Georgia, down close to the Alabama line, very southwest Georgia, a little further out than Albany, down sort of near Tallahassee, but where Georgia and Alabama, Florida all come together, Bluffton, Georgia. And he starts out and he says, you know, I was a production agriculture cowboy for most of my life. My daddy was the same. My great-grandfather was the same. So that all these people in my family were focused on getting the most beef poundage out of the least amount of land and shipping them off to market and making money, and we made money every year. He said, when I was a kid, the, the fertilizer salesman came, and he gave my daddy two bags of ammonium nitrate. Ammonium nitrate will make grass grow. And the guy, the salesman, said, now just take this ammonium nitrate, sir, and put it out there on your pasture in one place and see what happens. And he said, three weeks later, the place where the fertilizer had been applied out there was twice the height of the rest of the pasture. And my daddy said, boy, we got to have some of that. So this is probably in the 30s, 40s. And um, so from then on, they put fertilizer down on their pastures every year, grew grass like crazy, grew cows like crazy, and were profitable, Will Harris was, his family was, until sometime in the, I want to say the 90s, when he decided, you know, this is just this is just corporate agriculture in a way that I don't feel comfortable doing it anymore. UGA graduate, went to the University of Georgia, majored in animal husbandry. So this is a guy who, who knew his cows. He knew what it takes to make a, a pound of beef. And he said, you know, what I want to start doing is trying to figure ways of growing grass-fed beef, not corn-fed beef, which is what he'd been doing previously. That's how you make really fast-growing cows is to feed them corn. And so he said, I want to make grass-fed beef. There are people up in Atlanta who will buy grass-fed beef. All right. So he starts 
fertilizing, not with nitrogen fertilizer, but with manures and with other ways of making his pastures more sustainable. And he put the cows out on the pasture and didn't confine them with just the feedlot with the corn available to them. And he thought, now, where's a good place that I can get some fertilizer? Well, chickens, of course. And so instead of just letting chickens run crazy out there, he had little houses built. And each house holds about 100, 200 maybe chickens, and they're on wheels. You can move them up and down the pasture. And the chickens will come out of the house, and they scratch, and they and they fertilize the ground. And then you move the house next week, and you move it the next week. And so you have a fertilized pasture fertilized by chicken manure like it was when I was a kid. And the cows grazed on that fertilized grass, and the cows grew and grew and grew. And he thought, now this is a way to make some money, because he could ship that, that, that meat to Atlanta and in other parts of the southeast. But then he ran into the problem they didn't have a packing shed, a place to process all the cows and chickens that he was raising down there, so he opened up his own packing shed. Now, this is a guy who had to take on millions of dollars in debt in a county, in a town, in a place that people were melting away. People were leaving. These little towns, Edison and Bluffton and Carnegie and all those little bitty towns in southwest Georgia, they were just drying up and blowing away. And here's a guy who's getting loans for a million dollars because he wants to do something he thinks will work. Well, it did work. It did work. People in Atlanta did want grass-fed beef. People in Atlanta did want sustainably grown chickens and then sheep and then goats, and then cows, beef. And so Will Harris down there at his uh, farm in Bluffton is doing fine. Has his own, says, I employ 140 people. Says, I am here not to feed the world, but to feed my community. To feed my community by giving them jobs, by helping them to have places, jobs that they can, that they can contribute to the economy of the region and the south and Atlanta. I mean, I had a great time watching this video. Now, if you want to know how to find it, if you just go to Google, I'm sure, and type in 100,000 beating hearts. That's the name of the video, 100,000 beating hearts. He says, that's what I've got on my farm in any one day, 100,000 beating hearts. Will Harris. I think you'll enjoy it. It made me happy. I'll tell you the truth. It made me happy. 404-872-0750 is the number on Lawn and Garden. I know somebody that makes me happy. Nicole, our friend from Griffin, Georgia. Nicole, good morning. Mr. Reeve. I'm happy, Nicole. I'm oh, happy to talk to you, honey. Oh, same here, same here. I am so glad we're going back the way it's supposed to be because I was brought up on the dairy farm yeah. and uh, stock was in in the field and you know. But then this guy gets smart because the packing house that's where they switch the meat. Yeah. What you do you know? mean they switch the meat? Well, whenever you go and and bring a slot, you know, slot and things like this. Yeah. You know the meat that you went there, it's not what came back. How do you mean? Why do you think it was not the, the meat that you brought in How can you tell the difference? Well, the, the meat that is made to be beef and to be eaten is more marbled, has more fat in it, things like that, whereas dairy cow beef sometimes can be sort of lean, and dairy cows are not really made or bred to have uh, good-tasting meat. Well, um, my sister always, you know, two, three veal because everybody yeah. wants veal, yeah. you know. And uh, she said many times it's not the meat that they brought up that they came back with. Ooh, but anyway, just, you know, beside the point. This guy is really ingenious. He's really ingenious. He took advantage of a phenomenon in America that he just felt was coming. 
and he make money out of it, and I just really appreciate his, his efforts down there. It's uh, uh, what is it? White Oak Farms. That's the name of the farm, White Oak Farm. And you can buy it here in Atlanta at uh, Whole Foods and some of the farmer's markets around <clears throat> carry White Oak Farm meat. They have ground beef, they have steaks, they have chicken, they have you know things like that. But if you see White Oak Farm as the brand, uh, the logo on the package, that's where it's come from. It's from Will Harris in Bluffton, Georgia. Well, it's probably, you know, this little bulletin that we receive every two weeks in market bulletin? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's probably inside, too, because they push, you know, all good things in Georgia, you know. Georgia is an amazing state. Nicole, we are so insulated in Atlanta, in the northern part of Georgia, to not really appreciate what's going on in the southern part of Georgia. Georgia is an amazingly productive agricultural state. And the Farmer's Market Bulletin that you're talking about that the Department of Agriculture puts out has articles in it sometimes about some of the farms down there. The the, um, uh, Progressive Farmer magazine and the Georgia Farm Bureau Monitor and some of these other magazines. But until you drive through South Georgia and see those huge farms with corn and soybeans and peanuts and beef and chickens, it's unbelievable how many billions of dollars in agriculture Georgia produces. Absolutely, because you see all those cotton and the climate change because it's cooler here. Then they can grow stuff and maybe a month in front of us. So we got their produce. One of the things that makes me proudest of, the, of Georgia is having a university which is still so focused on profitability, sustainability, and education of young people. And I just really am impressed sometimes by the amount of money. They said $69 million that they just had in research projects this past year that came into the University of Georgia, all because of agricultural research being done. And again, we think of Georgia Tech and Georgia State and you know Kennesaw and all the different sort of technical colleges here Atlanta, but the University of Georgia serves all these farmers all over South Georgia, all over Georgia itself in the Southeast, and we make them profitable, make them smart, make them profitable, and hopefully get them jobs they can support themselves and become a, a farmer middle class once again. And there's a lot of students from the country and come and uh, learn here. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Georgia has a great reputation. You go to UGA and have a degree from there and you're doing fine. Oh, man, Nicole, we got to get out of here. I can see what time it is, and Scott's in there shaking his baseball bat at me. But uh, as always, it's great talking to you, and I hope to talk to you again next Saturday. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your day. We'll see you soon. Right now at 617, we'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. Keep rolling, 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 though the streams are swollen, keep them doggies rolling, rolling. Isn't that a song that brings back an immediate memory, an immediate feeling of where I was watching TV, listening to Rawhide on TV? Yes, it does. Quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. You heard it just a minute ago. Highs today around the low 90s. Okay, we're three degrees below where we were last Saturday. 91 degrees today. Partly cloudy, 20% chance of rain. Overnight lows about like it is right now, about 74 degrees, and pretty much the same tomorrow. Full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Our phone number on Lawn and Garden, 404 
888-900-0750. One of the things that you can do when you go to my website, WalterReeves.com, is click on the Facebook link, and if you have a Facebook account, you can just like Walter Reeves, or I guess it's the Georgia Gardener at Facebook, is where I put all my gardening stuff. But this past week, I had a question. Somebody emailed me and said, where I got figs all over my fig bush, but I don't believe I've ever seen a flower on a fig. Where do figs flower to make these figs that I've been eating for the past week or so? And I had to do a little research to find out, and I've been eating figs myself for a couple of weeks now. Has anybody out there seen a fig flower? Yeah, raise your hand. If you've seen a fig flower, raise your hand. Externally, there are no fig flowers on a fig bush. Now, this may be a little crazy to you because you work. You're, everything has a flower. Apples have flowers. Peaches have flowers. Pomegranates have flowers. Every other fruit in the world has a flower, just about. Figs, no flower. So how do they make fruit? Well, it turns out that little pouch, if you look at figs early in the, in the summertime, you see these little pouch kind of things, green little nubbin kind of things on the branch of a fig bush. And those little green nubbins inside of them is where the flower is. So you never see it outside. If you have that little green nubbin, bunches of them, on your fig bush, that thing has the flowers inside. As it swells, the flowers inside develop, and as they develop, they, they're part of the carpet, which means they fertilize themselves. And so as they fertilize themselves, they cause the sugar and the, everything else that makes the fruit swell up and become sweet and, and nice to, to eat. And it swells and swells and swells, and finally in early August every year, you eat a fig. Now this is for common figs, what are called common edible figs, the Celeste and Brown Turkey and Mission and all the ones that we eat commonly here in Georgia. They do not require pollination. Remember the word I just used, parthenocarpic, which means something that does not require pollination to make a fruit. And so the figs we enjoy here in Georgia, again, brown turkey and Celeste and Brunswick, they're all parthenocarpic, so they swell up. No wasp is needed to pollinate. But in uh, California, where all those Smyrna figs or Calamurna figs are grown, the ones that make the fig newtons, they require a little tiny wasp to go inside and bring pollen to mess the pollen around inside the fig to ensure that those figs develop. But it is absolutely untrue that the crunchiness that you eat when you have a fig newton has anything to do with dead wasps inside. You can just lay that one to bed. You do not eat dead wasps when you eat fig newton. You've probably heard that, but it's untrue. That's the reason that you subscribe to the Facebook feed of the Georgia Gardener because you get interesting information just like that. Our phone number, 404-872-0750. We'll be back after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 634, 74 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful doing whatever you want to do or don't want to do in your garden. If you have a question about what it is that you should or shouldn't be doing right now, 404-872-0750. Coming up in the next half hour, Gary and Decatur wants to know about hardy kiwis. 
can we grow them? And Gary, I've got some good news for you. Marshall wants to know about a sweet gum tree that's losing branches. I got basic new information about the sweet gum trees and why those big limbs break off. We'll talk to Marshall about that. Tina has a question about transplanting a rosebush. Betty needs to spray for St. Augustine weeds. DJ is in Atlanta and joins us on Lawn and Garden with a question about George Washington Carver. DJ, hey, good morning. Good, good morning, sir. Uh, just curious about uh, farmland after the Civil War. Yeah. I understand because of the repetitive uh, planting of cotton yeah. and lack of rotation that the uh, farmland had sort of been depleted of, of nutrition. Sure. And uh, I was just wondering, what was George Washington's carver's um, uh, role in uh, re, 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 um, uh, uh, putting nutrition back into the soil. Well, part of his role was discovering how versatile peanuts could be. He knew from just his horticultural training that the peanut would take nitrogen out of the air and put it into the soil. And that was what was mainly missing from the soil was nitrogen because it had been eroded over the years of growing cotton. And cotton uses a lot of nitrogen, but people weren't replenishing the nitrogen in the soil. And so when a, a piece of farmland became such that it wouldn't produce cotton anymore, they just abandoned it. And the rain would come and wash the rest of the soil down to the river, down to the ocean. And so George Washington Carver said, you know, man, I know about peanuts. Peanuts will make nitrogen in the soil naturally. You don't have to pay for anything. And so his research on making peanut butter, there are various other products, of course, that he discovered. But that is what his main contribution was, is saying peanuts are the, a great thing for farmers to grow. Yeah, for, for not only for that soil, but also for uh, nutrition and for That's them to true. eat also. And kudzu, too. We had kudzu. It was promoted all over the southeast. As is, It is a legume as well. It, it takes nitrogen out of the air and makes it into a compound that plants can use. And so, uh, what is it? Channing Cope. Channing Cope. Kudzu Cope was the farm editor for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And he traveled all over the South selling little pieces of kudzu. If he is he in the... What was the name of the family down in Chipley, Georgia? I forget their name now. But there was a, uh, a family down in Chipley that grew kudzu liners and kudzu sprouts, and they spread them all over the southeast. The miracle vine that will replenish these fields that have been eroded, and uh, that's where kudzu came from, DJ. Wow. Yeah. Thank, thank you, sir. It's great talking to you, DJ. One of the great things, one of the great news items of the past couple of days is that kudzu really and truly is not enveloping the South anymore. There are lots of other noxious uh, vines that the invasive species folks worry about a lot more. One of them is privet. You know what privet looks like. Uh, Japanese honeysuckle is another one. Kogon grass is a third. Um, I'm sure there's more that I could mention in there. Popcorn tree, tallow tree over in South Alabama. But there are a lot of plants that are more invasive and more potential for harm to the ground than kudzu really is, even though we still, you know, going down the highway, you see the big big uh, dragons and forms of, of kudzu draping over the trees. It really is not spreading as much as some of the other other plants are. Gary, Gary's in Decatur, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Gary, good morning. Thank you, Walter. Man, you, you're, you're really blessed with some good information here. I hope you've uh, Get rewarded handsomely for your good help to all the people <laughs> and they're listening in. I get to talk to you, uh, Gary. That's my reward. <laughs> <laughs> what can I do for you? Well, uh, I, um, of course, I, I, I've had several stints working in the wintertime in construction and landscaping, mostly landscaping in South Florida. So I got into giving, 
growing my own banana and orange trees, and the lady in my church had a backyard arena, so she'd been growing stuff since she was 19. I met her when she was 69. So yeah. for 60, for 50 years, she'd been growing things and knew how to grow all kinds of herbs and things that I had no clue about being a farm boy from Tennessee and kind of transplanted to Atlanta back in the 70s. Uh, anyways, uh, so I... I'm, uh, I was all ears for about three years. I worked at Diesel World Nights as a waiter and worked construction landscaping every day. And she showed me how to do many, many things, but she didn't have any hardy kiwis. Oh, yeah. And I've done some reading. I've got a book about Rosalind Greasy and other people that have had edible landscaping. I think I've got probably 20 or 30 books on edible landscaping and fruit growing and that kind of thing. So what, what's your question, Gary? Well, the hardy kiwi, I mostly even what so we can get some down to pass tax for Atlanta people. And you know of nurseries in the Atlanta metro area that carry that, because I don't know of a single no. one. I know of people from Florida that's got some, but that's how it, you know, that's not very... Yeah, kiwis are, as my grandmother used to say, they're touches. Touch us, which means that you can go into a lot of, you can get into a lot of problems trying to grow kiwis in Atlanta, which is to say, some people have been successful. I know in particular a lady near me, near Decatur, Gary, that has a kiwi vine as big as two elephants end to end. It is huge. And she gets kiwis off of it every year. And that's near you, near me, in Decatur. Yes. But the key to kiwi production is that the vine has to be mature before it starts blooming. It does yes. have a flower. And yes. so the years from the time you plant those little sprouts that you get, probably not from anywhere in Atlanta, but for on, online and from the nurseries down in Florida maybe, but the years between year one and year five or so, are it is so tender. It will get frozen at 32 degrees, 28 degrees. It's gone. It's dead. It's gone. Bye-bye. And so you have to protect it for five years, and that is where most people fail is they get it frozen, and then it doesn't mature into the blooming form. So if you want to have kiwi, Gary, if you want to have the fuzzy kiwi like you got from the grocery store, the key is to put it in a place, and usually you need two of them because it's a male and female kind of vine. you got to have a male vine and a female vine. So you get two of them that are guaranteed to be male and female, plant them, have already planned out how you're going to protect it during the wintertime for at least five years. And if you can protect it for five years, then it'll start blooming and it'll grow and it will be hardy enough to withstand most Georgia winters. And my neighbor next door, we haven't had a big, big freeze uh, in probably eight or nine years, and so hers has prospered during eight or nine years. But if we got down to zero degrees, I'm not sure how, how well Candy's kiwi vines would do, but we'll see. But I do know it is possible, Gary, to have kiwi in Atlanta as long as you protect them for those first five years. That's the deal. Marsha is in Ackworth, Georgia, and Marsha joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Marsha, good morning. Good morning, Walter. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. How can I help? Um, we have a sweet gum tree, and it's huge on our property. Actually, yeah. we have several that are mixed in with some other hardwoods. And I was sitting on my screened-in porch the other day, and I heard this commotion, and I thought maybe that the garden hose had sprung a leak <laughs> and exploded. And I, I ran out to the side yard, and there was this huge branch that had fallen uh off of the sweet gum tree, and huh. it's the leaves are green, and the yeah. wood, when it's broken, looks really clean on right. the inside. Right. Um, but I've noticed this tree is huge, and it does have one of those vines. It looks real fuzzy, and some people that have been uh, doing work on my property have said, that's poison oak or something. Oh, be yeah, careful around be. that. But 
the outside of the bark looks like it might have a fungus that's kind of a light uh, seafoam green color. Sure. But for the life of me, this is the third branch off of this tree in the past month, and they just fall randomly. Randomly, yeah, 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 sure. This is not unknown, and it is. I'm just delighted that just this past week I'd had a email conversation with Art Morris, and Art Morris is a certified arborist and sort of a, a theorist. I can always count on Art Morris. He works for Bartlett Tree Experts over in Tucker, but Art Morris, when I sent him a question specifically about trees, Bartlett Tree has a big research station up in North Carolina, and Art is really good about following research on trees, and he said to me, I asked him, because another person had asked me this question, Marshall, I got this big limb that fell out of my tree. What's going on? And it has nothing to do with the poison ivy that's growing, the fuzzy vine that's growing up the trunk of your tree. Nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that gray, that sort of sea green stuff on the trunk. That's just a lichen, and lichens don't hurt the tree at all. What Art believes is going on is he said it's possible that these landscape trees are simply growing a little bit more foliage on the ends of a limb than the limb is actually prepared to physically with physics support. In other words, the end of the limb gets too heavy. And he said, if a tree wants to abort a limb, a tree can do that, but the abortion point is going to be back at the trunk. A tree can stop sending nutrients out to the limb, and the limb falls off because it's too shaded or for other reasons that trees abort limbs. But that's not what you're describing. It's not what Art and I were talking about. We were talking about limbs that break out in the middle, you know, and then all of a sudden, just boom, yeah, yeah, it comes. Is, it breaks. It looks like it's about mm, probably nine to ten feet from the trunk of the tree, and, and art, then it's about fifteen feet from that, uh, the end of it. It's, it's yeah. huge. Because he is a tree theorist and a tree physical uh, sort of strength uh, uh, observer, Art said that would be the point, about five or six feet out from the trunk of the tree. That would be the point where the highest leverage is applied, where the highest breaking forces are applied on a limb. And he okay. says, what I'm thinking is going on. These landscape trees, frankly, on one side or another side of the tree, they get a little bit more water, a little bit more fertilizer, a little bit more sunshine, perhaps. And that sunshine causes the limb to grow further out than the tree actually thought would be safe. Let's put it, put it that way. The tree thinks, well, I'm fine with this limb, and the limb gets longer and longer, and all of a sudden it gets too heavy out there, and it breaks at the lever point, which is about five or six feet away from the trunk of a tree. And that, I think, ex explains why on sweet gums, pecans, water oaks, all three of those are very, very common to just randomly drop a limb, just bang, bang, boom, yeah. scaring the dickens out of you and me. Well, that's good news because I was afraid I was going to have to look at taking it down, and I yeah. hate to do that because yeah. it's in the middle of a, a lot of trees, and it would destroy a lot of my other shade trees to, to get that out of there because it's huge. If you want somebody to come and assess the health of that tree as well as all the other trees in the landscape, uh -huh. um, certified, what they're called certified arborists, and certified okay. arborists have been trained to love trees more than they like cutting them down. And many of them are on the in the service of tree companies around. But a good certified arborist is going to advise whether a tree needs to be taken down or whether it could be saved and do this, do this, the other. You might want to have the stub of that limb cut off cleanly like it's supposed to be. I mean, that's something certified arborists can tell you whether it's necessary or not. But if you go to the website of the georgiaarborist.org 
uh, website, Georgia Arborist Association, has a website called georgiaarborist.org. Uh, all the certified arborists are there. They have their ISA numbers that tell you they are certified, they're smart, they know what they're doing. And you can just hire one and say, I need a consult, a little tree health observation and consult. Come out, tell me what I need to do on my trees. Okay, that's good news because I thought, well, it's not close enough to my house, I don't think, <laughs> that no. it would give any damage. But I, it makes me wonder if some of the other sweet gums on my property may do the same thing. They may. <laughs> There's no way to tell if they won't. But again, this is where a certified yeah, arborist so can come into As long as it's not diseased or anything, and yeah. that's what was uh, so confusing because the wood inside looks so fresh. And I not thought, not I disease, not candy. disease. Simply unable for the tree to keep that limb on the tree due to physical forces that have anything to do with disease or anything else. Marsha, I do appreciate your call. Great conversation. I got to show off a little bit of knowledge. And again, my thanks to Art Morris at Bartlett Tree Experts. At 647, we'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. We're going to set the Wayback Machine to last Saturday because the temperatures will be about the same today as it was last Saturday. Highs in the low 90s. Overnight skies, cloudy, partly cloudy skies, 20% chance of a stray shower, and then partly cloudy skies remain. Tonight, partly cloudy skies remain. Let's read that correctly, Walter. With the lows dropping down into the mid-70s, your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5, AM 750 WSB. Tina in Athens comes up right this very minute. She's on the air on the Lawn and Garden Show. Hey, Tina. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. How can I help, Tina? Yeah, I transplanted a rose bush from Marietta to Athens. Yeah. And from my daddy's house, he, he passed a year ago, and um, both my parents thought let go of the little house, yeah. and daddy was so good with plants. Tina, Tina, pull your mouth away from the microphone just a little bit. I'm not quite able to hear you. Somehow, while I was driving, I could talk to you, and now I'm at my house. So I don't know. <laughs> All right, get to the question real quick so I can get an answer. Right I just want to make sure it's a living. It's still springy. Yeah. It's been about a week and a half ago since I planted it. Does it have any leaves on it now, Tina? Yeah, it still has some leaves. Some came off. Well, it's tough to it's tough to know, Tina. Sometimes when you transplant things, the leaves fall off immediately, and then all of a sudden the buds pop out again, and the leaves come up, and it looks great. Sometimes the leaves will just gradually drop off of transplants, and the plant just sort of seems to gradually decline. I will tell you that my neighbor. My neighbor uh, develops uh, Bill's houses, and she had a house that she was taking down, and she was building another next door to me. And so she got all these rose bushes, and they look junky. <laughs> I swear, Tina, when when Alexis brought those rose bushes and planted behind her house, I thought, they're not gonna live. Come on, girl, those are ugly. They had just lost all the leaves. They look really, really bad. And I looked back there last week, and those roses were blooming just as happily as if they'd ever been been planted there for five years in the same place. So all you can do on this transplanted rose is to attempt to keep in mind that all it needs is moist soil, not soggy soil, not dry soil, and no fertilizer. All right? If you can do that, keep the soil moist, not soggy, no fertilizer, keep your fingers crossed. 
Many times transplanted roses can make it through just fine. It may look sort of scraggly for a little while, but you may be surprised next spring. So if the limbs are still springy and you have a few leaves on it, soil moist, not soggy, no fertilizer, we'll see what happens in April, okay? It's 657 at News Talk WSB. The number of Lawn and Garden, 404-872-0750. If you have a garden question, 404-872-0750. We'll be back after news. Feel you. 